Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Here's your host, Amanda Galbraith. Happy Friday, everyone, wherever you are, be it sunny, be it overcast like it is where I am in downtown Toronto. As mentioned, I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, a show where we take the biggest stories of the week, we put some really smart people together in a room, and we debate what we think about it. So today on the show, I have some awesome panelists. I have Jerry Agar, host of the Jerry Agar Show on News Talk 1010 in Toronto, and Elias Makos, host of the Elias Makos Show on CJAD in Montreal. Elias and Jerry, welcome back. This is how smart we are. We named our shows after ourselves. That took like three seconds. <laughs> I'm telling you, so brilliant. The brainstorming involved in coming yeah. up with the names of our shows. Hours and hours and hours. And Amanda, I missed you. I missed you too, Elias. I actually always enjoy having both of you on the show is always a pleasure. Um, but having you together, I was like, woo, there'll be fireworks today, I am very sure. I know. Maybe I'll get Free For All Friday rena- renamed to the Amanda Galbraith Show. It'll make me harder to fire in the long run, right? <laughs> oh, don't exactly. count on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, speaking, speaking of big news today, Pope Francis uh, apologized for the Catholic Church's role in the Canadian residential school system. This followed um, a week of talks with First Nations, Inuit, and Métis delegations. And I don't know if many of you have seen the clips or watched it, but I will say um, personally, I have found um, watching the each delegation wearing their ceremonial dress, um, you know, walking into the Vatican with their heads held high, um, you know, telling their stories, these incredible abuse of tragedy and walking out you know, fiddling or drumming. It's just to me, it's been a remarkable um, show of courage and poise. Um, by all of these delegates uh, that I, you know, I think has been kind of a privilege to see as a Canadian. Um, so this apology actually came, as mentioned, after the delegates gathered for their final public audience with the Pope at the Vatican today. Pope Francis said he felt both sorrow and shame for the conduct of those who ran the schools. He said he's sorry to, for the abuse Indigenous people suffered and the lack of respect shown for their identity, culture, and spiritual values. So some really powerful words from the Pope. Um, this is a clip of Pope Francis. The first bit is Italian, but then it gets into the translator. E vorrei dirvi di tutto cuore, sono molto addolorato. E mi unisco ai fratelli vescovi canadesi. I ask for God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry. Cassidy Caron, Miti National Council President, was in the room for the apology and had this reaction. And I know how important those words are going to be to our survivors back at home, which is why we will continue to advocate for Pope Francis to share those, those words, those sentiments, what he's learned and what he's heard from us back on our homelands. The Pope also announced um, he plans to visit Canada in late July, and he's expected at that point to make, re- again, reiterate the apology on Canadian soil to victims um, and to members of, of these communities. This is actually also one of the actions called for in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of the 94 things they asked for. Now, this is, we should remember, though, is, and I said this this morning on More in the Morning, it's just a start, right? Um, there are other, you know, other demands or other asks from um, the First Nations communities, including reparations. Um, you know, the Catholic Church has taken artifacts um, and they've been housed in the Vatican and other places for decades without being seen. Uh, they want the release of records, uh, so this is just the start of, I think, a longer journey here. And we should also remember that more than 150,000 Indigenous children were forced to attend these residential schools in Canada between 1880 and 1996. 1996, people. So it wasn't that long ago. 
So, Jerry, to you first, do you see this? Was this meaningful action today or is this an empty gesture? No, I don't think it's an empty gesture. Um, I also think that um, there is some idea now that the Pope will follow up on this by coming to Canada and meeting with groups in Canada. Um, I think you can see this as a start of uh, a further process that's going to happen between the Catholic Church and Native groups in Canada. So um, from that standpoint, um, you know, I don't I don't see any negativity in it. I also see there's only so much that I'm going to comment on it because this didn't affect me. I wasn't uh, a victim of the whole thing, and uh, and I don't take that lightly. I would like to say, though, I want to amplify on something you referenced, Amanda. 1996, a clearly racist policy and practice that continued till 1996. I've been on this part of it before. There are five living former ministers of Indian Affairs and Northern Development. There are three living prime ministers and one monarch who have never apologized. What about them? That's a good question. Elias, do you think we need, and those PMs that are alive, for mm -hmm. example, would be Mulroney, Campbell, and Chrétien. Um, do you think we need, you no, know, following... Chrétien, Chrétien, excuse me, I'm sorry, Amanda. Chrétien is a little bit different in the standpoint that he's actually the one that ended it. It's Joe Clark, Brian Mulroney, and Kim Clark Campbell. As a joker, okay. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Jerry, for that, as always, does his research. Um, Elias, what do you well, make of Jerry's... You know, opinion? listen, I'll come from it from the perspective, the Quebec perspective. I always try and bring the Quebec perspective to, mm -hmm. to things here, right? And, and you know, to me, um, you know, the, the Catholic Church has an MO here, okay? And you can actually look at our residential schools and, you, you know, you, yes, it, they ran until 1996, but there actually is a difference between the residential schools that were, that were controlled by the church and the ones in the 70s, 80s, and 90s where the church wasn't involved. There's actually, there's actually a difference here. And, for, and from the Quebec perspective, you know, a province that was run by the Catholic Church that had a literal, albeit quiet, revolution to expunge the Catholic Church from our society to become secular— you know, I look at this a couple of ways because you asked you asked the question before of meaningful action or another empty ge gesture. You know, the Catholic Church is going to do, I think, you know, the bare minimum what they have to do in a situation like this. And the reason why we're getting an apology here after years and years and years and decades, actually centuries of trying to get an apology here, the reason why it's happening is because the Catholic Church doesn't have a choice anymore. You know, the Catholic Church simply, if they're trying to remain relevant in 2022, and by the way, there are tons of Canadian politicians that are trying to make religion more and more relevant in society, so they're getting some help. But if, if the Catholic Church wants to remain relevant in a secular society, they need to sort of get with it. And this is, you know, and, and this is a different pope. Pope Francis is a different type of, type of pope. I'll recognize that. But this is them trying to stay relevant. They don't have a choice here. They, they really don't. You, they have to apologize. Now we'll see how they back it up with an apology in Canada, an apology that will it, well, will it include money and restitution and those kinds of things? We will see. But the Catholic Church, they've got an MO, and uh, this is what we, I think we've seen another example of that today, them doing what they absolutely barely minimum need to do at this point in history. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point Elias makes about, you know, their long record of the Catholic Church, which obviously we're talking about today, but also Pope Francis, right? Because he was also a pope that went in, uh, he went to South, South America and apologized for their treatment of indigenous people there. So there's, there's a precedent for this pope specifically doing this. Um, I will say watching this roll out over the last week, um, I, I just have been 
struck by, I don't know, the role that, you know, the indigenous people there. Like, there's this image on the front page of the star right now of a woman. She's in this neon orange traditional dress. She's got, like, a single feather erect in her hair. She's these long sleeves with, like, these tassels that just look like wings. And she's dancing in front of St. Peter's Basilica, like, with that in the background. And it's just such an image to me of of like power and triumph in a way that I can't imagine what they've gone through and what we've watched over the last year, like almost 2000 unmarked graves in this country. So uh, maybe um, I don't know if I am naive, Jerry, but I, I have hope here that this will result in something meaningful or some meaningful sort of way forward for these communities. And maybe even us as a country, cause you're right. Like, you know, I'm 40. I didn't participate in this, but I'm also a Canadian citizen and our government, I think has equal responsibility. Um, I don't know, Jerry, what you make of that. Yeah, I, well, I, I think it's not helpful to be anything other than a positive today. Some people could say, oh, here's what's going to happen. Here's what, well, I can't tell the future. Maybe they can. So I think there are, if not some explicit, implicit promises that have been made here in connection with this apology that it is the beginning of a process and not the ending. So then if anybody wants to uh, hold their feet to the fire, hold them accountable on that, that's fair. But I don't think today is a good day to say that it's meaningless and it won't mean anything. Yeah, I guess that's a point to be made. We can take take the take the and I'm taking the lead obviously of the, you know, the representatives themselves, right, who are actually saying this is significant for them. But they have ongoing demands including the new delegation wants an intervention in a case of a fugitive priest who's wanted for sex crimes in Canada, so there continues to be um, I think lots of action to happen here. All right, it is carbon tax increase day and it's not a happy day for many Canadians, including myself. Should the government hit pause on this increase? We'll debate that after the break. I'm Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. This is Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we talk about the biggest stories of the week with some awesome people that I have on the show today, like Jerry Agar, who's the host of the Jerry Agar Show on News Talk 1010, and Elias Mackos, host of the Elias Mackos Show on CJAD in Montreal. So it's national. the national price on pollution is going up today. Um, what does that mean? It's t- another $10 for every ton of greenhouse gas. That means the total price for a ton of greenhouse gas is $50, which works out for you. You're like, why do I care about the price of a greenhouse gas? Well, because it affects you in your everyday life. We've added another 2.2 cents a liter of gas to the price today, and that's the carbon tax in total costs about 11 cents when you fill up in a liter of gas. So that impacts you every day. This is happening across the country, everywhere but Quebec and Nova Scotia, who have cap and trade systems. And this is also happening in the middle of a cost of living crisis. I think it's, you know, we're hearing news every day. People can't afford to buy houses. People can't afford to get their groceries. Um, but Minister Guilbeault, who's the environment minister and just launched a 90 billion or 9 billion climate change plan, says we can't wait to do this. He joined Evan Solomon on CTV Power Play, where he said most people apparently benefit from the carbon tax. People should also remember that eight out of 10 households in Canada are better off. They receive more money from our carbon pricing system than, 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 than if the system wasn't there. Wow. Do they? No. Yeah, do they really? No. <laughs> not, well, not just Jerry, not just me, not so fast, says the parliamentary budget officer, who crunched the numbers and says that's not exactly true. Most households will be worse off under a carbon tax regime 
compared to uh, a situation where there would not be any carbon tax. So the minister is right when you just look at the carbon tax paid versus the rebate, but it fails to take into consideration the broader economic impact. So there we go. So the minister is basically talking about the rebate, which, for example, if you live in Ontario uh, and is a family of four, amounts to about 745 bucks. But if you exist in the world beyond just getting your carbon tax rebate, it's going to cost you some money. And I sit here and say this, and not as someone who denies we have a climate crisis or that we need to do something about pollution in this country. I know we are not good at this. We pollute more than we did a generation ago. Um, but I feel like, personally, you need to have a reasonable path to transition. Um, if gas gets more expensive for people to drive, we should build transit. Um, if you want to go after the oil and gas sector, we need to fund carbon capture technology and actually give a plan to like to rescale to those workers so they're not left behind. And thus far, I haven't seen that from this government. I certainly didn't see it in the big climate plan that they released. And this news of increases to your cost of every day also comes on the day where, I'm not joking, this is not an April Fool's joke, where MPs get their third pay raise of the pandemic, something 79% of Canadians surprisingly do not support in a Leger poll. Um, so the average MP salary has gone up 10K over the pandemic, and the average Prime Minister's salary has gone up 21K. Um, so we have rising costs of your daily life for uh, carbon taxes at the same time as MPs get their regularized pay raise and the prime minister Elias um, does this seem fair is now the right time to raise the carbon tax we should all be getting pay raises to answer the question we should all be getting pay raises <laughs> agreed but, but more importantly is it the right time to to raise the carbon tax yes it is and, and let me tell you something before before you start throwing the tomatoes at the radio let me explain why and I say that not because I'm someone in Quebec who has an electric car and it cost me three dollars to fill up my electric car thanks to sweet sweet cheap hydropower in Quebec I don't <laughs> say it because of that okay guys i say it because really a cap and trade carbon tax type system should be something the right and the left can get behind and the reason why people on the right should be behind it is because it values something that's so important efficiency efficiency matters and in carbon tax systems efficient things win and that to me is such a i don't know conservative republican ideal that efficiency 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 matters and the problem that i have is that too often these carbon taxes are coupled with ideological moves right so let's talk about our the one of the most biggest marvels of all time in technology the plastic bag Let's throw in the plastic straw. They work. They're so cheap. They're so efficient. But what happens too often, environmentalists say, let's have the carbon tax. Oh, and let's also ban things, even when they're the most efficient way of doing something. So we replace a plastic bag with a cotton bag that you need to use 20,000 times before it equals the amount of energy consumed. So please, common sense carbon taxes, I'm all in, but leave the other ideology at the door let the best technology the most efficient stuff win and a carbon tax actually does that oh and let me point out one of the people running for the conservative leadership Jean Charest brought in the cap-and-trade carbon tax system into Quebec ages ago it's working fine I'm sure his opponents are not gonna let him forget it either Jerry uh, what do you make of Elias's point there okay with your sweet sweet electricity and how cheap it is to fill your car every time every time you charge your car from zero to full power. Are you willing to pay a $25 tax every single time? I don't have to. I'm using hydro. I'm no? not using, I'm oh, not no, using no, coal. No, 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 
No, no. See, this is where woke people don't fully think things out. And it is that when you go out on the road with your electric vehicle, you are using the road no differently than anyone with a gas engine, except the people with the gas engine are paying $25 on average per time. They fill their car up in taxes. We need that money for the roads. Are you going to pay it or not? Eventually, let me tell you something, we are going to all have to pay for it. And, and they'll figure out a system as that happens. We're not there yet. I mean, you know, and yes, you we know are. we're not there yet. You should be paying your share of the taxes right now, or you are nothing more than a hypocrite. And I'm will, but I'm willing to pay for it. You know what I mean? This, this, well, this send is the money the into the I, general fund of the uh, <laughs> Quebec government. You then. know what? But you know what? We don't have to because two decades ago, the Quebec government said, let's do something about it. So why didn't the carbon tax go up in Quebec today? Because we did something about it and why that, that, is the Quebec that, economy stronger an than the rest question. of the country that's well, not an answer to my question people with electric vehicles are hypocrites if they aren't sending money into the general fund you know, in order to pay their share there's, of there's the no problem. hypocrite here I didn't hey, buy an electric I car I, I, I didn't buy an electric car I didn't buy an electric car because it's more green I bought an electric car because they're better so there's no hypocrisy here electric cars are better that's why they're winning Here's and here's my question on the electric car piece though, because that's a good like like we we have a vehicle it's it's still functioning but it's it's getting older, (laughs) so I'll say um, Mark and I do. So we eventually will get need to get a new car in the next couple years. Um, We're naturally talking about an electric vehicle one because it's cheaper, um, because they're like they're good now. I mean the one concern is about charging, but I think that'll be dealt with in the nine billion dollar climate plan that Gibbo launched. There's one point seven billion electric vehicle rebates. I don't think we need that because people like most people are actually going to do this anyway. So like to my mind, it's like, why don't you take that money and either use it towards like helping like merge towards a green economy? Like to Eliza's point, why don't we use smart money? I think people are going those places anyway. Why do we need to subsidize green like those elements of a green plan if they're already being done? I'm not sure. Jerry, I don't know if you consider buying an electric car, Jerry, but it's certainly something that's on my sort of runway here. I don't care whether you buy an electric car or not. I don't care what <laughs> powers my vehicles, except I'm not excited about an electric motorcycle, but that's a different thing altogether. That's but, fair. Okay, but uh, good for you for saying you're willing to buy one and you don't uh, need or want the re- the rebate. If they are, in fact, the greatest thing that ever happened, then people will buy them without the rebate, so that should happen. And will you answer the question, if you buy an electric vehicle, are you and Mark willing to pay 25 bucks every time you charge it up in taxes to pay for the road? Well, I pay for the roads for my property taxes, though. I don't no, pay no, for no. them through You've my... Got, we've got to replace the gas tax, Amanda. But the gas tax doesn't go to roads, Jerry. Yes, the gas it does. tax No, it goes to... A lot of it goes to transit. It goes to the cities, and they sort of muck it about generally. It doesn't go specifically to roads. Uh, okay, well, money goes into the general fund, and it's fungible, and it goes all over the place. But the fact of the matter is that the roads are paid for out of the fact that we pay taxes, um, and you'll still pay taxes on tires or whatever else it is you do with your car. So some will be collected there. But but the gas tax is huge. It's in, it's in fact confiscatory at this point point and just got worse today on happy pay cut day for everybody who's not an elected <laughs> official and uh and so i want you elias tried to slip out of this but i want you to tell me if you would accept 25 dollars every time you charge your electric car up in order to replace that tax i mean i don't think that's the way to replace the tax but i do think they'll need to replace that funding for sure and the good news about the government which is i'm sure you're very aware of and so is elias is they find a way to get that money out of you if they don't get it that way. So I for, for sure, if they don't get it through gas taxes, they'll get it through land transfers or Lord knows what else. 
So speaking of big program, government programs, we finally have a national child care plan. Should we be popping champagne corks or is there more than meets the eye? We're going to debate that after the break. I'm Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. For All Friday Roundtable continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday. I'm still here, and I still have my amazing panelists who got into it before the break about their vehicles. Uh, Jerry Agar, host of the Jerry Agar Show on News Talk 1010 in Toronto, and Elias Makos, host of the Elias Makos Show on CJAD in Montreal. All right, our third story, which is one I've been looking forward to talking to both of these gentlemen about this week. This week, Ontario finally, finally signed a child care deal with the federal government. Um, and that gives us a national, a national child care plan, which I think is actually pretty remarkable. Um, what this means in reality for Ontarians listening is that child care fees will be cut in half by the end of the year with rebates retroactive back to April 1st. Here is Premier Ford doing a victory lap. It's a great deal for Ontario parents and the right deal for Ontarians. It's a deal that provides flexibility in how we allocate federal funding. Flexibility that was critical to making this program work in Ontario. Now, Elias is listening from Quebec, probably Mm -hmm. thinking we've had this for decades. Mm -hmm. And welcome to the party, everybody else. Um, Here is Prime Minister Trudeau, who also was at the announcement, very chummy with Premier Ford to talk about the $30 billion national program. We know kids deserve the best start in life, and parents, especially moms, shouldn't have to choose between family or a career. A year ago, we said we would build a national system to make childcare more affordable and accessible everywhere in Canada. We continue to deliver on that promise. Now, there remains debate, and I think there should be healthy debate, and we're going to have it on the show, hopefully, about whether we should have a national program, or should we just give parents the money, or should this be means-tested? I think it should be a national program that is accessible to all parents. And here's here's my rationale, and then I'm going to put it to the panel. One, early learning. It gives kids access to licensed facilities that significantly help their development and cut child poverty. So if right now, for example, the Canadian Child Care Foundation says one quarter of kids coming to schools don't have the skills, the language, or the cognitive development to su- succeed compared to their peers. So this would create a level playing field for kids if they have access to the high-quality spaces from the get-go, as opposed to sort of the, you know, smorgasbord of options that are available now. Two, it develops an industry. Um, we need to grow qualified childcare workers in spaces. Before the pandemic, for example, there were 2.4 million dollars, 2.4 million kids under the age of five in Canada. There were only available licensed spots for a quarter of them. And this is something that even happens in Quebec, right? They have like the gold standard of systems and allies can sure talk about this. There's only so much access. So there's a lottery system. So some folks have to go in other places. So the more we have a system in place in the country, the more people will get those jobs, the better paid they are. Um, and then we also have an issue post pandemic where frankly, a lot of childcare providers who were closed, like two out of like three out of 10 of those don't want to reopen. So I think no matter what you do, the best way to get childcare to get more spaces done is to have a program like this in the country. Um, it also helps the economy. Um, the Quebec studies show for every dollar they spend, it produces $3.25 in broader economic activity. Like the GDP of women working alone is huge. It's also, as a woman, a prerequisite for equality. Like 50 years ago, there was a Royal Commission that said child care access is the ramp for equal access to the workforce for mothers. Um, 
without it, we don't get access to professional training, access to public life if you're not a full-time employed person. And I frankly just don't think having a kid should come at the price of my financial independence. And the other thing is I just think we need a new approach in this country. I don't think that childcare should be the sole responsibility of a family. I think it should be shared by society like we share education because I think it's better for all of us and we shouldn't relegate it to the free market. And now you can take my conservative card away, Jerry, after that speech. Um, but maybe I want to go to Elias first uh, just because I want to – you – Why, you want this to keep a little longer till I take it away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Elias, I want Elias to bolster my argument before I put it at your feet. How about that? Well, well let's take <laughs> let's take you back now, you know, because our stations, we don't just do the talk. We also play the, the, the top hits, the greatest hits. 1997, the summer of 97, when Quebec got child care, you know what was the number one song? Do you know, guys? It was no. Mbop, Hanson. So let me tell you something. Amanda, you summed it up nicely, and we've seen it in Quebec. And our system is not perfect. There's too many waiting lists that are involved to get in on the sweet, sweet, very cheap child care, but it pays off. But of course, in Quebec, we made a decision a long time ago to become secular, and that's why we led the country. I welcome that the rest of the country is getting on board with this. Ontario, welcome to 1997. That's great. But you know what, guys? Guess what? Child care is a provincial jurisdiction. When I see Justin Trudeau trying to cram this stuff down provinces' throats, okay, you know what? It works out for the citizens at the end of the day, but it should be provinces deciding what to do with their money, not the federal government imposing child care. It's a provincial jurisdiction. All right, Jerry, I'm, uh, I'm sidled up. I'm ready for you to take my conservative card away. Oh, Go my God. So much stuff to correct here. Um, first of all, if, <laughs> if you want to use musical cues, all those people are for this. Here's their song. I want to talk about me. want to talk about I Okay, uh, so let me take on some of these points. First of all, oh, Quebec had it first. Yeah, because Alberta paid for it, so congratulations. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sec- secondly, um, this whole idea of the, the prime minister, people shouldn't have to choose between having kids and paying. That's right. This program is so poorly designed, especially because it's not means-based, because middle-to-high-income earners shouldn't have to choose between daycare and a new Tesla. So, uh, and, and it's if it were means-based, I wouldn't be criticizing it in the same way. The multiplier effect that you mentioned, uh, Amanda, I just, I hate when that comes up. If that's the case, for God's sake, let's spend all the money we can. Let, let's make it uh, uh, Let's make it free daycare. Let's just give it away. Let's keep spending government money because it just multiplies somehow. Budgets don't, won't just balance themselves, Amanda. We'll be spilling over with money. If, the, if that was true, that multiplier effect thing, then we wouldn't have governments in constant need of money and, uh, and debt the uh, that we're carrying. So I don't buy that one at all. I mean, this and the financial independence. Oh, if I have my daycare paid for somebody else for by somebody else, I get financial independence. What about the financial independence of the people without kids who are paying for this? Unless it is means tested, it is ridiculous. So there and there are jurisdictions where they're means tested, like Australia, for example, has a pretty high child supplement and then it weans off at a little bit. The reason I don't think it should be means tested, though, if we can afford it as a country and, you and know, that's can't. a choice. Right. And well, but, yeah, well, maybe we shouldn't be spending one point eight billion on subsidies for electric vehicles that people are going to buy anyway. Like, I think we should make better choices. But to my mind, an active choice to support this makes sense. Like you could look at someone like me who could 
will be able to afford childcare. It'll be like another mortgage in Toronto, but I could do it. But the difference is, is that I will be um, like either like regardless, it's going to take me out of the workforce. I'm those commitments. I drive a lot of business at my company, which drives employment for other people. So I just think approaching it from like a like a just a freedom of my ability to succeed, to do better is important. Um, and, and, and I think a, the more access we have to childcare is, is critical. Sorry, go ahead. No, Please. just Amanda, on, on that front, you know, I mean, there, there is a, a, a part of this question is, well, do we want women to be in the workforce in a bigger way? This, this really does help. I mean, like we have all the statistics data in the world to say, if you provide childcare and you can debate how you provide it, the cost, sliding scales, all of that. I mean, there is a question to be debated in society Quebec society that has debated this and said, yeah, women should have all of those opportunities. One of the ways to do it is childcare. This is one of the reasons, major reasons we have it. Some societies, some provinces may not feel that way. And they're entitled to make a, 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 another decision. Of course, in the sort of Justin Trudeau uh, way of thinking, no, we're going to come up with a plan. We'll force the government we'll, we'll, and we'll force provinces to do it. And just, Jerry, to respond to your, your comment about Alberta paying for it, you know, let's let's just call it as it is. Alberta blessed that land on oil and they have no foresight to put money away. Start a generations fund 20, 30 years ago, like other oil-rich places have done to provide services for their citizens. And now they're in a place they won't even put in a provincial sales tax. And then they're pleading, oh, well, we don't have money. Do common sense things. Put, you know, they should have been banking away money from that oil richness, and they should be continuing to do that today, to pay for social services like that. And that's where the blame can go. You know, if Quebec, it's in the Constitution, equalization, it's the plan, it's what all provinces have to deal with, and Quebec can take advantage of it if, if the plan says they should. But let's not Quebec forget, is a failed province we, have, is, is we have a 10% oh, provincial right. sales tax, by the way, <laughs> and that's what pays for it. I'm there we go. I'm getting in between both people on Quebec as a failed province. We'll debate that in another show when you guys are back, I promise. All right. It was the slap heard around the world, and the people involved won't stop talking about it. We'll cover it all after the break. You're listening to Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, referee for Jerry Agar and Elias Makos, who are my panelists on today's show. Uh, where you will have to come back and we will debate uh, the Federation and uh, equalization, but not today. Uh, as, as you know, Jerry Agar is host of the Jerry Agar Show on News Talk 1010 in Toronto, and Elias Makos is host of the Elias Makos Show on CJAD in Montreal. So there's a pretty big story happening in this country and not a lot of people are talking about it so i wanted to get to it today more than 200 canadian gymnasts coaches and judges have signed an open letter alleging abuse and a toxic culture within the sport in the country the letter calls for an investigation which gymnastics canada says now it supports here's alexandra landry a canadian olympic gymnast signed who signed the letter and she joined evan solomon yesterday to explain why we were subject to toxic culture and abusive practices within Canadian gymnastics. And knowing that this is still going on, even after 10 years that I've been away from the sport, I think it's time for a change. So I think it's now or never, and we need to go all in on this movement. She also talked about her experience in the sport. So I've received comments such as being called a fat cow, um, 
you know, making the team look horrible, making Canada look bad because of my weight, being called fat every day. And those are just some examples. Um, you know, there are other allegations of sexual abuse, of emotional abuse. Um, it's It certainly seems to be something that's growing here. Now, uh, many apparently say they were afraid to came, complain for fear of retribution. And in response, Canada's sport minister, Pascal Saint-Onge, has vowed to create an independent mechanism to report mistreatment in sports, quote, soon. Um, but... Gymnasts aren't the only athletes that have been complaining about this. If you actually look at the news and look back at the last few years, um, athletes from the bobsled, skeleton, rugby, track and field, rowing, synchronized swimming, um, women's soccer, even wrestling have all come out and kind of had similar stories of abuse or harassment or mistreatment. And they've all said they're they're too afraid to come, come public and talk about this. Now, I think it's good that they're coming out publicly. I think it's good they've talked about creating this independent mechanism for sport. But it's been decades. There's multiple different sports that have said industries that have said this and athletes. So why don't we have, and we've, we've watched this play out in the U S right with the, the trial of Larry Nasser and you know, the emotional stories of gymnasts like Simone Biles. So my question is why don't we have this already in Canada? Like, why don't we have an independent body? Um, Jerry, is this too little too late or is it better that we're, we're getting to it at some point? I don't know. This story keeps reminding me of the Bill Cosby story, where at first uh, you didn't know about it. Second, you didn't want to believe it. Then there's somebody who came out and you either thought, well, this is just a kind of a a one-off situation or somebody who's just looking for attention. And then it gets more serious, like you said, with Nasser. And now we have 200 people, as you said, in Canada, which is undoubtedly going to bring on more. So it it just uh, distressingly, uh, the story just keeps getting worse, which means there's there's not just some smoke. There's a lot of fire there. Elias, do you agree? I, I just got to say, man, the topic selection today, Catholic church, gymnast coaches. Are, are we going to debate <laughs> men who own Ford Econoline vans next? That's that's my question. Uh, yes, I mean, absolutely. Yes, there should be a body to investigate this kind of stuff. You know, when it comes to sexual abuse of, of, of uh, teenagers while they're trying to fulfill their dreams as being an athlete, I mean, of course, we've got to do everything possible to stop that. So, you know, I, 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 there's a slow pace to everything, but this, for crying out loud, yes, it's time. Yeah, and not to mention the fact, like, she's talking about being called a fat cow and all those, you know, like, which is dramatic. She was 15 years old at the time and younger. Like, this is happening to 10-year-olds. So, I mean, I think this story is going to keep evolving, um, but I feel like soon isn't soon enough for me to create that body. So we should certainly uh, certainly keep an eye on it. How many and I do want to give a bit of time. Uh, I'm sorry, yep. Amanda. How many ounces yep. do you have to gain as a gymnast kid to be called fat? I mean, <laughs> I've <laughs> never Seriously. seen a fat gymnast in my life. I have no, I truly have no, that's the crazy part, right? Like the body dysmorphia you're saddling these, these men and women with is, it must be mind boggling. And so actually might be more exciting to watch. I'm just saying, but yeah. (laughs) All right. I want to give us enough time to get to this last story, which is remains bonkers. Um, On Sunday, I, I, I actually deliberately this year decided not to watch the Academy Awards, as I mentioned last week, because I was like, it's not relevant anymore. It doesn't matter. And then... And then Will Smith decided to haul up on stage and slap Chris Rock at the Oscars. Here's the sound. I'm out here. Uh-oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. The slap heard around the world. And it's been a, a hotbed of debate all week. Um, was this... 
you know, was should Will Smith have been punished more? Should he have been kicked out? Like yesterday, the Academy claimed that they tried to kick him out and he refused. His team fired back. So the story won't go away. But the bottom line is, is that he was honored by the Academy for, um, you know, standing actor. He got a, like a standing ovation after assaulting someone on stage. And now the Academy's come back later and said they're investigating. So the question remains sort of out there in the public. Should they take his Oscar away um, as a result of his behavior? And yes, he's apologized. Yes, he's shown remorse. But he did assault someone on stage. Jerry, do you think he should keep his Oscar or should it be taken away? I think it should be taken away if they want to be serious about, you know, dishonoring the Oscars. It was an assault. Um, It's one thing. I would like to speak to those guys who've written to me over the course of this week. Well, if somebody insulted your wife, you wouldn't protect her. There's a difference, first of all, between um, verbal back and forth and reacting to a verbal comment with physical violence. And there's also a difference between reacting in a second and hitting somebody and then, oh, I didn't mean to do that. And getting yourself up out of a seat, walking across a distance, and hitting the person. Most normal people would have a little bit of a cooling off period in between. Then he goes back and sits down and continues to yell profanities and anger. He refuses to leave when he's asked to leave. He's given non-apologies except for the one the PR people wrote. There's something wrong with Will Smith. The kindest thing I could say is maybe he needs analysis. And Elias, like there are... So I think there's lots of people that think he should be held accountable for his actions. I I am one of them. Um, But there are lots of examples of Oscar winners and nominees who have been guilty. Roman Polanski is a great example, right? He's won an Oscar. He's been accused of child sexual abuse. Woody Allen. he did it. I mean, Um, he did it. He did it there at the ceremony. Like, he completely derailed that ceremony. He took all of the focus away from all of the other winners. So I, I do think that does change things, right? Because, you know, I mean, you can argue, you bring up uh, Roman Polanski and, and, and uh, you know, criminal activities outside. This happened there. I mean, it happened on the stage. Listen, I think he, he's going to get booted out of the Academy. I think he's no longer going to be a member. I think we'll find that out on April 18th. They've done it once before, and I forget the name of the actor. He was an actor in The Godfather who was caught uh, pirating movies, <laughs> and they booted him out. So, you know, I, I, I think he'll get booted from the Academy. I don't know about taking it away. I, I mean, you can bring in the sports analogies. Think about all the terrible things we've had sports athletes do. They get to keep their MVP awards and that kind of stuff. But then I think, didn't didn't they take away O.J.'s Heisman? I don't know. I don't know how you want to look at it. But anyway, um, you know, th- th- there will be consequences. I don't know if they should go as far as take away the, the big award. There will be consequences, I'm sure. And, I mean, I think there's going to be reputation, like putting my navigator hat on. There will be significant reputational consequences for him, right? I mean, he spent, a, a, you know, decades, decades building this fun family guy. And he, in, you know, 10 seconds eviscerated that reputation on stage in front of millions of people and then all people like me who just watched on social media just aghast weinstein was kicked we've... out by the way Wein... there he you was. go yes he was kicked out one of the few all right well it's been an amazing show lots of fire thank you to jerry and elias very much for the debate today i would love to have you back and back together uh thanks to my producer nick and hannah i'm amanda galbraith i'll see you next friday